God's Word from Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that Jeconiah the king and the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. By the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace." For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. And perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Amen. May God bless the reading of His own Word and also the preaching of His Word as well. We have before us um, a passage in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, which reminds us of the thoughts of God for His people. That's the theme of this message. Jeremiah 29, 11 God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. In in chapter 29, we find a compilation of letters that go back and forth between Jeremiah and the people in captivity. And some other people are mentioned to whom... Jeremiah writes or writes to Jeremiah or people who are carrying the letters to and fro. And he makes reference to King Jeconiah and his wife, the queen, when they were deported. And that would have been in 597 before Christ. So these these letters would have been written a little bit after that. And what he wants to do is prepare the people who are there Remember, with the many warnings he gave to Israel, to Judah, 
that they would be taken captive if they didn't repent. It finally happened. There were, there were three deportations. And after this very one, he writes a letter to them there. And he wants to prepare them that this will be a long captivity. It won't be forever, but it also won't be brief. Um, he's also preparing the people there to not listen to the false prophets who were there telling lies. Those false prophets told lies back home saying that captivity wouldn't happen. And when they even went with the people, they are telling lies in captivity saying it won't take too long. And so Jeremiah wants to send the truth. And this is interesting. This little reality is, is how the, the church... Um, lives there there are always those who are teaching false doctrines here we are trying to teach the truth and proclaiming the truth from god this is why we try to be tied with everything we say even an example that is given has to be with a purpose that is connected to the text a preacher is not allowed to tell his own stories or his own view of things but this is how we minister in this world the truth is proclaimed but there are plenty of people out there teaching blatant falsehoods Things that are not even in God's word, that God has not even thought of being proclaimed, but they are teaching them as if they are law. But that's how it is from the days of Jeremiah, and it continues to this day. And you can imagine how it would discourage those people to hear from those false prophets, oh, it's only two years, good, but then here they're on the fourth year. And they're thinking, this, this is sad because... He said it was two years. Now it's four years. And that would be so confusing for the people. And Jeremiah is saying the truth. It will be 70 years. 70. God is so gracious. He even gives the date. The, the time frame. 70 years. So he wants them to be ready for that. Buy land. Build homes. Have families. Live your lives. Because it will not be time to pack up in 70 years. And then you'll remember that in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, he's reading through the scriptures and he comes to this passage. And he finds out that those 70 years, as he does the computation in his elderly age, he's realizing it's about to come. It's about to come. And he reads the 70 years with these very messages. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. So, so the time was coming close, and Daniel reads this, and remember, that's when he goes and prays. God puts it in the hearts of people to pray very earnestly when they see in God's word that it's something he will do. Because we know this is a prayer he will answer. And so Daniel went to pray. And, and you read in Daniel 9, it's a wonderful portion. Chapters 9, verses 2 through 3, verses 15 through 19, you can read later. Um, Daniel is there at the end of these 70 years and being encouraged by what Jeremiah wrote. But he's writing here to the people who have just gotten there. So you can imagine their hearts are so full of sorrow. The images are vivid in their minds of seeing their homes destroyed, Jerusalem being burnt, people died, killed all over, and them perhaps separate from parts of their family. Their hearts are broken. They are desolate. And something very, very possible is that they are having very um, ill thoughts toward God. They have resentment toward God. Maybe even some who would be more pious and understanding, we needed the discipline, but now we're here. Will the Lord speak? Will He help us? And God comes to them and says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil. See, this comes in a moment where probably many hearts were having evil thoughts toward God. And God is saying, I don't have evil thoughts toward you. This is the message before us. We're going to think of the thoughts of God for His people. And first, we're going to think of the thoughts of God themselves. And then we will think of the people of God. And even, of course, the thoughts that the people of God 
have or should have. And the reason this is a, a good sermon, a good passage to encourage us in this year that begins um, yesterday, and here we have the first Lord's Day of 2023, we, we are encouraged to think that even though there are very many things in this year that are mysterious to us, they are unknown, but they are in the thoughts of God. They are not mysteries to Him. God would say the same thing to His church of all ages. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Well, let us consider something about these thoughts. The first thing to consider is, what are some general characteristics of these thoughts that God's Word says? What can we say about these thoughts of God? Before looking at the text itself and also other passages of God's Word, the first thing is to think of the majesty of these thoughts. Just the thought that God has a thought toward you. God, think of the majesty of these thoughts. You know, the closer a person is to you, the more it would mean, <clears throat> it would mean to you to hear that person say, I'm thinking about you. And that, that encourages you, doesn't it, to know that a loved one is thinking about you. And then think of a closer person saying that to you, perhaps your spouse or your mother or father. The more important the person is to you, the more comforting it is to know that they're thinking of you. But this is the God of heaven, the creator of all things, who rules over heaven and earth with millions of souls under his care, with the cosmos to uphold the orbit of every planet and star and galaxy, And he has thoughts for you. The God whose providence rules over every event in the life of every person. Last night we we focused on the power of the providence of God. And we were reminded of God's sovereignty and his power. And how every event in life has a purpose. That God who is that powerful thinks of you. If I were to put some psalms together, according to Psalm 95, I could say, He who is a great God and a great King above all gods thinks of you. He in whose hand are the deep places of the earth, to whom all the hills belong, He thinks of you. The God who has created the seas and whose hands formed the dry ground and the seas, He thinks of you. If I want to use... Psalm 97.9, I could say, God who is above all the earth thinks of you. Psalm 47.2, I could say, the Lord who is a great king over all the earth, he thinks of you. How astonished you would be if you received in the mail letter from, from the new king of England and he thought and he said, I think of you. But this is so greater than that. This is so much more grander. If I were to take Psalm 96.4, I could say, He who is great and greatly to be praised and who is to be feared above all gods, He thinks of you. So the sheer majesty of these thoughts. Then consider the eternity of these thoughts. Because anybody who says to you, My thoughts are for you, They are not eternal thoughts. They only began when they met you. And throughout the day, that person forgets to think of you. None of us are able to have continuous, unending thoughts of everyone. But God's thoughts are God's, and so they must be as God is, who is eternal. We read in Jeremiah 31.3, speaking um, of his own people, he says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So if God's love is everlasting, then his thoughts, which is an expression of his love, must be everlasting as well. So that God has been thinking about you from eternity past, and he continues to think about you now. 
It didn't start with you being created. It started before you ever were. And if you may have heard from your little one, as I've heard from quite a few of our little ones, and maybe I've shared this before, I don't remember, but you know how we have pictures, and some of the younger ones are looking at those pictures and asking, where am I? And, and you re- realize, oh, you weren't there. You hadn't been born yet. And some of my little ones have asked, where was I? You know, they think maybe somewhere else, but, but where was my existence? And we always say, you were in the mind of God. That's always an answer that is obvious because every single one of us existed in the mind of God. He knew he would create each and every one of us before we came. And we were in his thoughts in creation, in in eternity past. These are eternal thoughts we're talking about. Not momentary glimpses of thoughts that God is busy with the cosmos and all of a sudden he says, oh yeah, I I need to remember so and so. They're eternal They're majestic. And then consider also the mercy of these thoughts. And what I mean here is the reality that what have we done that gains us the blessing that God would think of us? Is it that we've been so majestic ourselves that then we are in the mind of God because we deserve it? No. Not a single one of us have done anything to deserve these divine thoughts of God toward us. Just think for a moment if he were to think about you based on how you think about him. Or how long. Imagine if he were to think of you the amount that you think of him. Or perhaps even worse, if he were to think about us the same way we may think about him. When things don't go the right way, the way we want it to go, See, right there, I already said an error. They always go the right way in His providence. It's just not right if I sin. That's not right. But I never fall out of His providence. But if something happens and I don't like what happens, if there's an ill thought about God, imagine if He were to think of you like you're thinking of Him. And this is typically why we think evil of God. It's because we're thinking He's thinking evil of us. This is what was happening to the people of Judah. They were thinking, God hates us. He brought his wrath upon us. There's now no hope for us. And God was saying, I have thoughts of peace and not of evil. I disciplined you for your good. And I love you and I will bring you back. And yes, there are people who died in the process. There were people who died who were true believers. They are in a safer place. There were people who died who were not true believers. They received judgment. But we who are living, and as we see in affliction before us, beloved, never, ever, ever have ill thoughts of God because He has good thoughts for you. So consider the mercy See, these thoughts are thoughts we don't deserve. But he has these thoughts that he says to his people. And then still consider in a general character these thoughts. Consider the holiness of these thoughts. Because God's thoughts must always be good thoughts. They are perfect thoughts. They are righteous thoughts. There's no evil in the thoughts of God. He cannot sin. And so none of his thoughts are sinful thoughts. None are imperfect in any way. Because of our frailty, um, even those whom we wish well, we sometimes misjudge, and so we then misthink. And we start thinking evil of some people whom maybe before we used to think well of. Maybe we hear something about them, and we're not sure if it's true or not, but we already begin to have misconstrued thoughts. Sometimes they're not holy thoughts. Sometimes they're full of bitterness and not love. Well, see, God's thoughts are always perfect thoughts. And, and even when they are thoughts of discipline that I might need, they're thoughts of love and not evil. And then the last thing in general to see these thoughts, not only are they majestic, holy, and merciful and eternal, but also consider the con- concreteness of these thoughts. This is somewhat connected with the eternity. 
But it's showing not just how God keeps on thinking of us, but that the thought that he has for us, not a single one of us can, or, 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 or other events in life, they can't change those thoughts that God has for us. Since they're gods, they're divine, they're holy, they're good, and they're concrete. They're unchangeable. Um, and so here you have God's people being promised by God that they will return. But we see what happens when they return. Before too long, they're back in Jerusalem. They did rebuild the temple. Everything, in a sense, is going well. But we read in Micah, which is the last prophecy before the New Testament, and he's reprimanding the people for their sins and for their slackness in their worship. And then comes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and we have the glorious news that the Savior has come to the world. And, and what did Jerusalem do? What did the Israelites, in, in a bulk kind of way, in a majority of people, they yell, crucify him to the Prince of Peace. So see, God knew that the very people he's being good to and bringing them back to the land, by the time Jesus comes, they're going to want the, the, the crucifixion of his own son. He knows that, but he has thoughts that are for peace and not evil to give them an expected end. See, knowing that they would kill his son did not change his thoughts for them. And we can apply that to our own lives. God knows the next sin we will commit. He knows that even right now, my love to Him is not perfect. And then it might become worse because I'm not going to love Him as I ought. He knows the next lie that we will tell. But His thoughts don't change. He would say to you, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. So let's talk about these thoughts themselves. We, we talked about them in a general way, but now let's go more into the thoughts. What are these thoughts? Not just about the thoughts, that they're divine, concrete, etc. But do we know these thoughts? And God's Word does give us some hints and e- clarity even about some of those thoughts. If I were to read Psalm 40 verse 5, I will realize there's an impossibility of numbering them. Look at Psalm 40 verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So there's an impossibility to number them in terms of arriving at the end. But that doesn't mean that we can't start numbering them. And this passage and a few others that we will look gives us a few of those thoughts. So the first thought that we know that God has is right here in the text, thoughts of peace and not of evil. I believe the reason this is number one here is because this is exactly dealing with the issue of people who are outside of their homes. They are captive. They've seen destruction. They understand this was God's judgment. And they're thinking, God could keep on judging us still. Maybe I'm going to die. Maybe my husband still going to die. Maybe my son who stayed in Jerusalem, he's going to die. And they're just having thoughts of evil. And even thinking, God will probably keep on punishing. God is probably not satisfied. And God is saying, no, the discipline has happened. You are captive. I have good thoughts. Thoughts of peace. Pray even for the peace of Babylon, because then you will have peace. There will be weddings. There will be births. There will be peace. Beloved, let that be an application to you. There may, there may be turmoil throughout your life. And, and you're tempted to think, cause, is God maybe not loving me? Is He forgetting me? God God is saying to you in that affliction, if you're part of the body of Christ, and in our second point, we're going to see to whom this actually applies in a general and even in a specific way. God is saying to you, don't have those thoughts that I'm planning evil because my thoughts are of peace. 
That's what God is saying. To a people who had sinned so grossly, He is telling them, I've done enough. I have thoughts of peace. They are thoughts of an expected end, number two. See, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That's the idea of giving you hope. Some translations have it to give you hope in the end or to give you prosperity and hope. That would be the literal translation. So God is saying, my thoughts of you are so much of peace to the point of hope. And, and it's, it's not just a temporary peace, but it is a peace that will lead to blessings, that will lead to hopefulness. Matthew Henry says this in commenting on this hope. He says, The end they expect will come, though perhaps not when they expect it. Let them have patience till the fruit is ripe, and then they shall have it. He will give them an end, an expectation. So it is the original. He will give them to see the end, the comfortable termination of their trouble. Though it lasts long, it shall not last always. And of course, someone who was 40 years old, hearing that it will be 70, it doesn't comfort them to the point where they know they'll go back because they probably imagine I'll die in Babylon. But it gives the 40-year-old, the 50, the 60, a hope to know my son or my grandson will come back. So that 70-year time frame gave hope to all of the people in captivity because they were all being told there's a limit. After this time, there's the hope of going back to Jerusalem. There will be a continuing of your life back in the promised land. So they were thoughts of peace. They were thoughts of hope. And thirdly, we could say they were thoughts of hearing you when you call upon God. That's the best way I can place it. Look at verse 12. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. God God is saying, my thoughts are that when you pray to me, I will listen. My thoughts are of attentiveness. My thoughts are of openness in my ear to the call of your heart. That's what he is saying. These are the thoughts that God has for you. Thoughts that when you pray, he will listen. And then if we continue reading verse 13, we would say, fourthly, these are thoughts of being found when you seek him. Because look at verse 13, And ye shall seek me and find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. So see, these are his thoughts. These are thoughts that if you seek, I will be found. I'm I'm not having thoughts that I will make you seek and seek forever. I'm not having thoughts that you will pray and pray and I will not listen. I have thoughts that I will listen. I have thoughts that I will be found. And beloved, this is the same God. He is this same God who has these thoughts for you. He has thoughts to listen to your...
peace on this earth, but peace everlasting in heaven through the Lord Jesus. And this is what God means when he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You want peace. My plan for peace for you will be greater than your plan for peace for you. And so we know this. We know that the thoughts of God are better than our own thoughts. Basically, in this point, um, what God is doing is this. Think of your thoughts of what you would like for your soul, for your life, for your safety. And God is saying, mine are higher. Mine are greater. Mine are bigger. You want to just go back to Jerusalem? I want you to come to heaven. You want to just have a life where you have enough salary to live your home? I want you to have eternal life and the forgiveness of all your sins and a conscience that is clear. Our thoughts are so little. God's are higher. And then a seventh thought of God that we know for sure. If we go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul there tells us, The mind of Christ. And he's telling us to have that mind, which is to have his thoughts. What is the mind of Christ? What are the thoughts of Christ? And he goes into that depth of humiliation that Jesus, even though he's God, he came to this world as man, and not just man, but a servant among men, and died, and not just any death, but the death of the cross. That's the thought of Jesus. It is the thought of the Father to send Jesus as a servant to the point of sacrificial death, and it is in the mind of Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. That is the thought of humility. Those are the thoughts of God. And now let's go then to number two, the people of God. In, in a way, we, we apply all that we've been thinking. We've thought in a general way the character of these thoughts. We thought something of the thoughts that we see the text and other passages say. But let's think now of the people of God. Because look what he says. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And who is he talking to? He's talking to Judah, who went captive. But we need to understand that the Judah that went captive was a mixture of Jews who were literally angry for all that happened and were still there listening to the false prophets and not even thankful that God was in control. They were angry that God did that to them. And there were the pious Jews who were grieving but who were bowing in submission to what God was doing. In verse 14, where he promises that he will be found, he says, And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. And he brought back the captivity. There were three times of captivity. There were three waves of returning. And everyone who returned weren't pious Jews as well, as, as we just saw. Because soon enough, you had sin. And in the times of Jesus, we see what the people of Israel did and what their choices were. But what I just want to bring here is the reality. Because even as I'm saying this, maybe in some of your hearts you're thinking, but is God thinking of me? And maybe if, you're, if you know you're not saved, you're wondering, could that be a thought of me? Well, there there are two answers to this. Yes, if you're part of God's covenant people. Because this is to whom this promise was. It was going forth to God's Israel. But as we read Scripture, we understand that among God's Israel, He had His true Israel. And his true Israel were the true believers in the covenant community of Israel. And beloved, we live with that tension still today. And this is why you may note that in the bulletin I did write Lord's Day 27. Because what I want to do is read, and 
Lord's Day 27. This is page 56, if you want to read with me, in the back of the Psalter. This PM service will be all on forgiveness of sins, and we will look at the first two questions because they're related to the sermon in the afternoon. But question 74, you'll see how related it is to explain this very tension we're speaking of. Is this promise that God's thought is for them only for the true Israel or is it for all of Israel? I believe since God is saying this to all of Israel who was captive and we know that not all of Israel were true believers. It was a promise that went forth to all his people. Saved or unsaved. Part of the covenant community. And this is how we find in the New Testament being spoken of. Because we know that in every church, not everybody in the church is truly saved. But if you've been baptized and you've been born into a family that God has set apart by His sovereignty, you are part of His covenant people. And look how we speak in these terms even today after you are baptized or after you're born into a covenant family. So page 56, question 74. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they as well as the adult are included in the covenant of the church of God. So right there it speaks of them as part of the covenant church. And that's the visible church. And since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith is promised to them no less than to the adult. They must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the old covenant or testament by circumcision instead of which baptism is instituted in the new covenant. And you'll notice um, that when it speaks of the promise being to the children, it is Acts 2, 39, one of the verses in the footnotes. Where do we find in God's word that the promise is to the children as well? Acts two thirty nine. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So this is is what happens. God ushers forth this general promise. And this promise goes forth to his people. These little children who are covenant children, we don't say that they are automatically saved because of baptism. That is even the error that we don't want to go back to that in the Middle Ages began. So little children grow up in the church and they might be 10, 12, 13 years old and not be saved yet. But we call them covenant children. And we follow what God's word says that the promise is for them. Fathers and mothers, if a little child comes to you and says, Daddy, is this promise for me? You have to say, yes. Because God's word says it. And you must embrace it. And that's why in the Canons of Dort, it says that as the promise goes forth to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, that it's a well-meaning promise. And you are not supposed to doubt, is it for me? The moment you do that, you are doubting. That is what unbelief is made of, doubt. But when you receive this promise, God is thinking of people, some who were not even believers, but they were part of the covenant. And they were to hear this and repent and believe and become now the true Israel. Because they were supposed to say, if this God who just disciplined me because I deserved it, if he's thinking of me, then I want him to be my God. And people who spoke that way, people who sought him with all their hearts, were the true believers in the midst of the true Israel, of of Israel. And they were supposed to speak to one another as they saw an Israelite who was not believing these things. They were to evangelize that Israelite so that they would become a true Israelite. The word circumcision is used in that way. They were circumcised, but they didn't have a heart that was circumcised. 
And this is how we speak with baptism. There are people walking around who have been baptized, but they don't have a heart baptism. But this is the blessing in God's word. The promise is not just for the heart baptism person. The promise is not just for the true believer. The promise goes forth to the whole body of Christ indiscriminately. And even as I evangelize my neighbor and I tell my neighbor, if you repent and believe, maybe they're not part of a church or anything, but I'm telling him the promise of the gospel. It is well meant for that soul. And see, the moment he believes Christ is his Savior, that is faith. He is taking Christ for his word. But see, this is a very special promise for the body of Christ. God, In this promise, God is not saying, I have a thoughts for the Babylonians or I have a thoughts. No, it's for the church. This is why I have this point. The people of God, who are they? They are the church. And if you're a true believer, then you, of course, can embrace this with all your heart. But I want you to understand, if if you don't think you're yet a true believer, but you've professed your faith, or you've been baptized into the church, you have God's sign and seal of the covenant. This promise is for you. God is saying, I have thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, there were Jews who heard this and continued in unbelief. So, of course, they received judgment. But the Jews who heard this and said, Lord, I thank thee because it's been very hard. But I'm thankful and I will call and I will seek. Then those were blessed with the fruition of these very thoughts. And I, I just want to close with, with a few thoughts regarding your thoughts. See, we're speaking of the thoughts of God the application, of course, is what are your thoughts? And there are two ways that we can go about this. What are your thoughts in general? And what are your thoughts in regards to God's thoughts to you? So the first thing is to notice the utter vanity to have thoughts about yourself that differ from thoughts that God has toward you. What use is it to have thoughts of hopelessness if he already told you he has thoughts of of hope? How vain it is to have thoughts of worry when he has told you he has thoughts of peace. How mindless it would be to have thoughts of despair when he has already given thoughts of deliverance. Why would you have thoughts of no expected end when he has an expected end for you. So that's the first thing. Let us not fight with the thoughts of God. Let us have his thoughts because they're concrete. If he thinks peace for you, then be thankful for that peace. Don't fight against that peace or doubt that he has thoughts of peace. The second thing is the thoughts of God for you should fill your heart and mind with thoughts of joy, of gratitude, of love, and of hope. We're not talking about someone very important having precious thoughts of you. We're speaking of God himself. And you know how troubled you feel if somebody has ill thoughts of you? And you know how joyful you feel when you hear someone has good thoughts of you. God has no ill thoughts for his own. He has good thoughts for his own. So let that fill your heart with joy and peace. Now you understand that this is, this is no hope that is given to someone who has no desire to call, no desire to seek. Those would be people, yeah, within the covenant, but who would continue in their transgression and would end up being further disciplined. I'm not wanting to give hope to someone who says, I don't want to live in obedience, but I want this hope. I hope everyone understands this. There were people who were reading this and doubted, and they continued in their idolatry. And for them, it was not an expected end for peace. It was death. It was judgment. It was sorrow. 
This is, this is a comfort to those who believe, who are in the covenant of God's people. And if you haven't yet believed, it is a promise for you so that you will believe, to comfort you to believe, to not be scared to come to God and believe, because it's a promise for you. If he is, if his thoughts for you are of peace, then yours, because of his, must be of peace. Why, why would your thoughts not agree with his thoughts? Why would you have a war of thoughts? And if his is of peace, then yours must be of calm, of contentment, of resting in his thoughts of peace for you. No, I, I've, I don't think I've mentioned that directly to our congregation, but many of you have met my father-in-law. He perhaps is one of the greatest examples of someone who takes God's thoughts at his word. Now, I've lived in Brazil where I've seen the realities of the death of his father, the death of two of his brothers, and he continued living among the people who were related to those who committed those murders. And he's ministering to the Brazilian people in the north of Brazil. When he heard of the accident of his son that took his life, he just bowed and prayed. And his heart was filled with comfort that God was in control. When, when we received the news that there would be impending invasions, perhaps in the lands, this was now 14 years ago, he was as calm as ever. Because he knows the thoughts of God. And he thinks them after him. I've seen this example again and again in his life. He's a wonderful example to our whole family. Fourth, if God's thoughts for you are of an expected end, of that hope at the end, yours, because of his, must be of hope. And then think of this. Then apply Isaiah. If your hope is this big, God is saying mine is higher. If you have this much peace, my thoughts of peace for you are higher. You see what God is doing? He's, he's not allowing us to stay in our worry, in our discomfort, in our lack of hope. He's saying, my thoughts are even higher. You want hope. My thoughts are higher. And then f- lastly, um, you should then have thoughts of faith. See, these are all thoughts for you where God is in essence wooing you to trust in his thoughts for you. And ultimately, of course, his own person for you. So what are your thoughts of God? Are we allowed to keep any kind of suspicions of God, resentment toward God, bitterness against God, anger toward God? No, our thoughts should be full of love. Thoughts of His greatness. Thoughts of His kindness, of His mercy of his love, transform all of the attributes of God into thoughts toward God. If God is holy, have thoughts of his holiness. If God is patient, have thoughts of his patience. If God is kind and gentle and good, have those thoughts about him. If he is eternal and immortal and he never changes, have those thoughts about him. And these thoughts, just to conclude, they were materialized they were captive under Babylon but there came a day with the writing on the wall that was the last night where Babylon ruled and Daniel was there to tell that king Belshazzar that he was weighed at the balance and found wanting and in that very evening the Medo-Persians broke into Babylon Cyrus became king he made a decree that people could go back to Jerusalem it was materialized. A group returned under Zerubbabel, another term, another group returned under Ezra, and then yet another group returned. Then Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls. The temple were rebuilt, and around 400 years later, in a little town of Babylon, there was one angel, and then a host of angels appeared to those shepherds, told them about the baby that was born. 
in Bethlehem. And remember what the angel said, joy to the world. See, those are God's thoughts. God didn't just think to bring the people back and continue a political life. He was going to send his son. And none of us could ever imagine that God the Father had in his thoughts the death of his son to be a sin offering on the cross so that you and I can have our sins forgiven and the hope of eternal life. See how God's thoughts are higher. His people just wanted to go back to Israel. God's thoughts were, I want you in heaven. Our thoughts may be, I I want a better country. I I want a better political system. I need more money. I need a new car. Our, Our thoughts are so little. But see, God is saying, I want you in heaven. And I want you on earth having good thoughts about me. Have thoughts after my thoughts. May God bless us in this new year. As we begin things afresh, let us begin better thoughts of God. And those who have had good thoughts, that they may be even better. See, there's this dynamic. No matter how high our thoughts are, God is really calling us to think higher and higher of Him because His thoughts are higher. And so this is a good time to begin, the first Sunday of the year, to have precious, loving, great and grand thoughts of God. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God Almighty, we thank Thee, Lord, for Thy Word. We thank Thee for these promises, Lord, this declaration of Thy thoughts for us. We pray, O Lord, that Thou would save those who are not saved. Lord, we pray that if they are part of Thy covenant people, that even that would be to them an encouragement, that this is a well-meaning promise to them that they are to believe that these are thoughts for them. Thou hast already brought them into a family that baptized them into a Christian church. They are being raised in thy word. They are separate from those outside. And Lord, we pray that they would see that thy thoughts are good and of peace for them, that they would believe and repent and be part of the true Israel, to have circumcised hearts. May that be true, Lord, of all of us. We pray that Thou would open the eyes of those who perhaps have an assurance of their faith but are not truly believing, are not truly saved. We pray, Lord, that Thou would use Thy Word to prompt them to see who Thou art and have those thoughts after Thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.